you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church good morning and a very happy thanksgiving we're just going to take a i just want every one of us to take a moment to think about good to see you guys back from greece all the way my goodness welcome yes sorry i was distracted i'm thankful to god for all the sheep that i have that's what i'm thankful to god for how about you what is that you are thankful to god for maybe a few of you can just shout out and say you know i'm thankful to god for fill in the blanks right? It's good to acknowledge that, right? Okay, you have about one minute for 20 people to say that. Just stand and say, I'm thankful to God for one line. Let's start. Oh, thank you. Oh, yes. Okay, let's focus on what the Lord is doing. Okay. Yes. Come on. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. Yes, sister. Praise God. Yes. I'm glad that at least seven of us are thankful to God for this, this Thanksgiving Sunday. And the rest of you I wanted to think about, please. Because it's, it's always nice to reflect, pause and, 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 and reflect on what the Lord has done for us. And I'm thankful to God, leaving jokes apart for the eternal life, the life that we have in Christ. Uh, church, we are on a journey through the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 10. I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to, uh, to John chapter 10. And last week we looked at the mass, the marks of a true shepherd, the Lord used an allegory or an illustration to explain this to the Pharisees. And Jesus is contrasting himself as the true shepherd with this self-centered false shepherd. And as I said last week, an illustration is like a parable. It is actually an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what it is. And hear me out, church, Jesus' parable or an illustration revealed the truth only to those who are seeking. But it concealed the truth from scoffers and those who were of two minds. So in verses 1 to 6, we saw that Jesus spoke of two things. He spoke of his credentials as the true shepherd, and with two markers that we looked at, he enters by the door and the, and the gatekeeper opens the door. And this character he spoke about, that he was call, calls sheep by name and leads them out and goes before them and, and the sheep trust his voice. Jesus had very clearly articulated who a true shepherd is through this illustration. But here's the sad part. The Pharisees could not get it. That's how we ended up last time. That's why I asked Brother Bruno to read verse number 6. We saw that in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but what? They did not understand the things which he spoke to them. 
Why couldn't they get it? Because they were not seeking the Lord genuinely. So Jesus is now taking a slightly different approach to the same topic. Instead of approaching as the true shepherd, enlightening who he was with his credentials and his characteristics, he wants the Pharisees to see from the sheep side the benefits or the compensation the sheep would receive from this true shepherd. He sums it up so well. I hope you have your Bibles. So I want to start with verse number 10. Normally, pastors go from in an ascending order. Now I'm going to start from verse 10 to come back because that gives the message very in a, in a, in a nutshell. Look at verse number 10. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life. And that they may have it more what? Abundantly. In essence, he's telling them, if the sheep follow the true shepherd, they would end up having what? An abundant life. Everybody say the word, abundant life. Abundant life. You know what it means here? It means that there must be another life other than the abandoned life. Otherwise, God would not say that. Church, every one of us want to have a good life. Good life. For us, the good life is pursuing the American dream. That's our good life. Meaning having a beautiful house and having the latest model of cars in your garage and maybe nice vacation to destination places, going on cruise and Retiring to a comfortable life of doing whatever you like. I want to tell you, church, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. While many who are financially comfortable may have achieved this good life, but, there's a big but here, in every home, there is something missing. In every home, there is something missing. Most of them have missed the abundant life that Jesus promised to all who follow him. Many Christians, hear me out church, who follow the prosperity gospel, they have baptized the materialistic American dream with some Christian labels. And as a result, what we see today, sadly, there are many so-called Christians, they look pretty much like unbelieving Americans in their pursuit of life. But the abundant life that Jesus promised has nothing to do with collecting more stuff. As my wife and I, we have an empty nest now. The kids have abandoned us and they have gone and, and because they got married. It's a good thing to get married, but they leave the... Don't look at me, Sandy. So it's very hard. It's heartbreaking. Now we have got lots of stuff we don't know what to do with. They don't need it. In, you know, when it, the Lord talks about the abundant life, it has everything to do with this church. Being right with God, in a nutshell, through faith in Christ, and having the hope of eternity spent in His presence. Simply put, that's what it is. Thank you for selecting that beautiful hymn. Beautiful. I'm only sad you didn't let me sing, but it's a beautiful hymn that you had. Heaven came down, and glory filled my earth. Now, you all know Apostle Paul very well. Now, he was a scholar in our worldly standard. He was highly educated. He was well-respected. He was looked up to as a man with authority and influence. He had many, many followers. He was having a good life. 
living his American dream. He had everything going well for him until he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. Then everything changed for this great man called Saul. He was no more rich in this world's good, but he enjoyed the abundant life that Christ offers. Church, see, I want you to see this, how he describes his take on the abundant life in comparison to what this world can offer. Look at this passage here in Philippians 3.8. He gained those riches by coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what he says, Yet indeed I also count all things, what? The good life that this world offers. That's what he's talking about. All things Loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Everything that he possessed, he says, I lost it. And count them as what? Rubbish. I love the KJV version. Dung. Count them as dung, the KJV says. He called his American dream rubbish or dung, and what was he desiring instead? That I may gain whom? Christ. I hope you get it. I hope you get it. Church, if I may speak from my heart, very honestly, it was his great, his grace that took me to greater heights, heights that I never thought in my professional career. He placed me in charge of, to direct the fate of at least two companies, but all those vain glory, simply paled into insignificance in light of the position and the perks I have as a servant of God today. My only regret is this, that I missed the prime of my life when I was young and restless, oops, young and able to use all that I had, the vigor and the vitality, all that I was for His glory. That's the only regret I have. Because now I want to do it, my spirit is willing, my flesh is not letting me do. I would never swap this, what I have now, for anything secular. As David said, I, my prayer was that I would rather be a, David said, doorkeeper, I said, I would rather be a doormat in the house of my God. But God took it seriously because the sheep sometimes walk over the doormat. But better late than never. Church, hear me out. Jesus' purpose for his sheep, radically opposed to the purposes of false shepherd. Abandoned life versus the destruction and death. So there are only two ways to live your life. You can pursue this world for satisfaction or you can seek God to satisfy you. The world under the dominion of Satan will rob, kill, and destroy your soul. Especially the young people, you need to hear this message. And even the older ones, you need to hear this message. Even though there are four verses, it took me hours and hours to reflect on this because the Lord kept convicting me over and over again. Come with me, please, as I go very slowly. As you look at verse number 10a, the first part of it, the thief does not come except 
for what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. So we're talking about a good life and an abundant life. When you're pursuing that good life, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Boy, it's a very hard message, isn't it? Pastor, how does the devil kill and destroy me as I pursue the American dream, you ask? James explains it so well, church. In James 1, 14 to 15, I'm using it the NIV version. But each one is what? Tempted when they are what? Dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. See the progression of Satan's scheme here, church. Focus on this very carefully. You are tempted, you are dragged, you are enticed, you are conceived, and sin and death. Let me give you an example. You may be knowing this, the Eskimos have an interesting way of killing wolves. So what they do is they take a sharp knife, they dip in seal fat, and plant it blade up in the snow. I'll show you a picture of that. Those dog lovers, please bear with me. A hungry wolf will smell the seal fat, which he loves. He finds the knife, and he begins to lick it. Come along with me. As soon as he licks it, he tastes blood. His own blood. But because of the temperature, everything is frozen, he doesn't know that he's tasting his own blood. He loves the taste of blood and he licks more and more until he finally kills himself. What he thought at first as really living was actually killing him. Gorging yourself on the world and its sinful pleasures is like that. It first, at first it tastes good, but it's really destroying you. Destroying you. Let me warn you, family, those flirting with the good life that the devil offers will surely end up tragically in hell. Only Jesus ultimately satisfies the soul. Only Jesus can reconcile you to God. Only Jesus can give you life, abundant life. A life that begins now and continues through eternity. So in our text today, what we see in verse number 10 is the deliberation of the Lord, what he, continue, what he, uh, what he considers for his own sheep. He deliberates, he gives, he considers the abundant life. That's what he gives us. Jesus is telling how to secure this abandoned life. He came so that you and I can have abandoned life. That's what you are seeing in verse number 10. I know we start with verse number 10 because that's the end goal. The deliberation of the Lord. So in the other three verses, we are going to look at three more truths about this true shepherd. What the shepherd can do. So let's go back to verse number 7 now. Then Jesus said to them, again, 
most assuredly I say to you, I am what? The door of the sheep. Everybody say the word door. I am the door of the sheep. What we see here, church, in this statement, Jesus states how he is distinctly different from others. That's what he's stating here. I like to call the first mark as the distinctiveness of the Lord. That's what he's seeing here. Allow me to explain this to you. Jesus very emphatically claims that he is the door. I am the door. Jesus is the only door of the sheep. I know last week he looked at uh, about the sheep and the shepherd and, and we looked at a place called the sheepfold. Do you remember that? I showed you the picture of that. Now that's normally in the village and uh, the different shepherds would bring all the sheep at the end of the day and leave the sheep in the sheep, sheepfold and there is a doorkeeper, a hired doorkeeper who will stand there and we identify the shepherds. He will let them go in so they can call their own sheep and take them out to the country field. We looked at it the last time. But now the scene probably has shifted to the country. Come with me please. Now the shepherd is grabbing his sheep and he's going to the country during the day. Sometimes he might decide to spend the night there. But when he goes there, he builds a protective enclosure for the sheep. So they could go in and come out for protection. I'm going to show you a picture of that. That's what it is. So he, 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 he prepares that, a protective enclosure, so they can go in for, for their rest, but they go out for their food. They can come back during the day. And the night, the, the, the shepherd, as you can see in this picture, he will be sitting there. The shepherd himself would lay across the opening to the shelter, and I just, that's the picture I'm showing you right now here. What does it mean? The intruders had to get by him to get to the sheep, isn't it? And the wayward sheep cannot just run away without crossing the doorkeeper. He's the door. So as the door, the shepherd lets in the true sheep, but he excludes thieves and robbers who would harm the sheep. This is a known fact to the Pharisees of the first century. So Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep. They get the picture very clearly when Jesus talks about that. He said, no apostle or prophet could make such a claim. No one else can claim this. Only Jesus, the Messiah, could legitimately claim, I am the so Jesus' claim was claiming to be the exclusive only way to God. That's why he says in John 14, 6, what? I am, come on, finish it off, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Just as there was only one door into the ark, and there was one door into the tabernacle, Jesus is the only door to salvation and God's presence. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians, Therefore through him we both, the Gentiles and the Jews, have access in, in one spirit to the Father. You know, church, unless, un, the unbelievers are okay if you, say, if you tell them, Jesus is a door. They're happy with that. Because they'll say, Buddha is a door, Muhammad is a door, the nature is a door, all religions lead to God. 
But when you draw the line that Jesus drew and insists, he is the only door. The distinction of Christ, you get accused. And you'll be called intolerant people, narrow-minded people. But as Peter very said boldly, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He was not mincing his words when he said that. There is salvation in no one else. So in verse 7, what we learn today is the first marker is the distinctiveness of the Lord. Are you with me so far? Hope I have not lost you in this journey. Let's move on to verse number 8. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. What do you see here, church? The denouncement of the Lord. The denouncement of the Lord. So Jesus says here, all others claiming to be the door are thieves and robbers. Church, Jesus was not saying that godly men like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Pastor Ronald, and others were thieves and robbers. That's, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying that he is referring to, in the context, he is referring to those preyed on the sheep and used them for their own selfish ends. These were they who were standing right in front of him, the Pharisees. They are not godly shepherds of Israel. Now I want you to listen to this very carefully. Jeremiah 23, 1, there's a warning from the Lord. And those, I'm sorry. Yes. This is from new, this NKJV. Vote to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my passion. Look at KJV. Woe unto the whom? Pastors. Scary, isn't it? Scary, isn't it? Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This warning is to the shepherds. They are called pastors here. What does it really mean? John MacArthur puts it so beautifully. This is a divine pronouncement of judgment from God. That's what he's saying. If they're the pastors who push the sheep away, if they do not repent, they were doomed to hell under God's righteous and just wrath. So there's a clear warning to us, especially those in the leadership of the church. If someone should go astray, because of our shepherding, woe to us. Woe to us. Woe to us. Who would go astray? The sheep, of course, because they are the weak ones. That is why we need to show more grace. Grace upon grace. That is why we should forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven, and continue to shower that grace that the Lord has freely lavished on us. We cannot cast any sheep out. Every sheep entering through the doors of this church are precious in the sight of God. Every one of you is precious. Not only to me as a shepherd, but to you as a sheep. If someone is to leave this door, 
because of you, woe to you. Do you get it, what I'm saying? Woe to me, woe to you. Because sometimes I have seen that I don't want to go to this church because so-and-so said something about me. Woe to that person who caused that to happen. I hope you are coming with me. This convicted me, trust me. I could not sleep last night and the last few nights because I was reading it over and over again and hitting me so hard. Church, we are held accountable to every sheep. You know, Rick Warren puts it so beautifully. He said in every church there is this EGR category of people. And you know what EGR stands for? Anybody? Extra grace required. It's true, isn't it? In every church. And some of you are looking at me. I'm not looking at you, but we all need extra grace. On that day when we come to, know the, come to see the Lord, let the Lord not tell us, you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. What a terrible, terrible statement that will be from the Lord. Where, you know, we want to be in the presence of God for the God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But instead the Lord says, you have done this. Woe to you. Let us look at verse 8 again, please, church. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. What is the Lord saying here? Jesus repeats the truth. He stated already in verse 5, which we looked at last week, that his true sheep will not hear or follow a false shepherd. That's what he's saying. But it is, the true, it is true church. Sometimes the Lord's true sheep may be led astray by a false shepherd for a while. But here's the comfort that we have. If they were really true sheep, as Jesus promised this, just excuse me. This is what the Lord says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's the comforting, isn't it? Even if they slip away, we know the Lord will bring them back. If they slip away on their own, if it because of me, because of you, what to us? Otherwise, we can be comforted as long as we have not done anything, that the Lord will save the true sheep, the Lord will bring him back. But if they are not true sheep, hear me out. Apostle John gives us this beautiful statement here. In 1 John 2 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, you know, I tell you, church, this is when I break down, I weep within. Even today I weep for some people. I can think of a few that I knew over the past 30 years of my ministry. Then you know that they have gone and they have gone from the Lord. Do you know people like that? Hurts you, isn't it? Think about their destiny, where they are going. It hurts you. Because John says, uh, 
I'm lost now. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Hope that is not told of any one of us here. Church, what we learn is that we should not be the reason why someone is leaving our fold. We have no control over the decision the sheep make. If they choose to leave on their own accord, just leave them to the Lord. But we ought to be faithful to our calling. This should be our daily prayer. God, hold us accountable. And I'm telling you as a pastor of the church, please, hold me accountable. If you have said anything to offend anybody, come to me, trust me, I will take it. And I want to do the right thing in the sight of God. Because I don't want one day, when I stand in the presence of God, woe to you! I don't want to hear that. So the third thing that we looked at is the denouncement of the Lord. Let's move on to the last verse. Verse number 9. It reads this way, I am the door, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find passion. What do we take from this church? What we see here, the Lord spells out what he dispenses to his sheep. That's what they're seeing here. What the Lord wants to give to the sheep. There are at least three things to consider here. First of all, the one who enters through Christ, the door, will be saved. That's the first thing that we see. Right? So Jesus provides salvation for his sheep. In the context of the sheep analogy, being saved referred to protecting the sheep from the predators and that would kill them. That's what, that's what, in this illustration, that's what it means. That's the earthly story. The heavenly meaning is different. He's talking about Jesus obviously has the idea of spiritual salvation behind every word. That's why, you know, John 3, 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that, he, but the world might be saved through Him. So when I use the word saved, what comes to your mind? You only need to be saved when you are helplessly or hopelessly lost. Isn't it? Why should you be saved otherwise? You don't need to be saved or rescued if you are doing fine on your own. You only need to be rescued when you are unable to get out of a situation on your own that will soon lead to death. Now you may look at me and say, Pastor, I'm not in any danger. I don't need to be saved. Church, come with me, please. Please come along with me. I've given enough thought to this. If we hear that there is an earthquake in Lake Ontario at a scale of 9.5 magnitude, what would you do? Because you know the imminent danger of a tsunami, you would seek refuge, isn't it? Every one of you. So I went and, went and I searched and I, I, and I did find in the year 1929, July 4th, a six-meter wave hit Grand Haven State Park in Michigan, killing 10 people. Don't think there are no tsunamis here, just because of the lake. And it says in, in 1938, July 13, a three-meter wave drowned five at Holland State Park in Michigan. These are facts. So think for a moment, if you do not know the impact of an earthquake of such magnitude, it may be a news of interest for us, isn't it? Oh, there's an earthquake in Lake Ontario. Oh, and we talk about, hey, do you know there's an earthquake? 
It will make no impact on us. You mock at the ones who are, who are panicking. If somebody, oh my goodness, there's an earthquake in Ontario. You say, just don't be silly, man. Just relax. You pretend to be unshakable. You, you belittle the people who are warning you. You go the merry way and, and many of us are like that. Isn't it? But when the water come, water come gushing back, it was too late. They're all swept away. This is a true picture of the tsunami in Sri Lanka in 2004. As the water receded, people went in to fish. Would you believe it? It went back so it can come back, the water. Then the tsunami hits, taking thousands and thousands of lives, destroying everything on its way. It happened in December 2004, on the Boxing Day. The end of this, it's too late at that time. Look at these pictures. True pictures. True pictures. Some people went deep into the ocean, as I said, to, to catch fish. They were clueless of the imminent danger, but enjoying the recession of water, something new. Something new they have never seen before. Now let me ask you a question, church. Knowing this, if there is an earthquake of 9.5, is there an imminent danger of tsunami? The answer is yes. What would you do? You would run for life. Yes or no? Yes, you would. But you ask pastor, pastor, now listen, what has this tsunami got to do with this text that we are talking about? Church, there was an earthquake. An earthquake of sin at the scale of greater than anyone can imagine that took place in the Garden of Eden. Ever since the warnings have been issued by the prophets of the Old Testament, by the Lord himself through the word which we all have, and we ignore, we go our merry way. Sadly, most of the humanity is not seeing the imminent tsunami of God's wrath. Church, there is no place on this earth, I repeat this, there is no place on this earth that is safe for anyone when the tsunami comes. Because the effect of the tsunami will soon engulf the whole earth. Help must come from outside. Help must come from the Lord and the Lord alone. We cannot help each other. My, your dad cannot help you. Your mom cannot help you. Your spouse cannot help you. Even your pastor cannot help you. Because we are all in the same danger. Every one of us. Everyone must be saved. You ask pastor, why should I be saved? What danger am I in? I don't get it. Yes, the earthquake happened in the garden of Eden. But the tremor is still on church so powerfully. Let me tell you why you must be saved. Come along with me. You have to be saved because you are totally lost in sin. The total depravity of human race, every aspect of our being has been corrupted by sin. That is why you must be saved. You have to be saved, church, because you are under God's wrath. We are by nature deserving wrath. Without salvation, we, we stand condemned. You have to be saved because... You are in danger of hell. 
after death comes judgment. That's what the Hebrew 9.27 says. And if you die without God's salvation, we will end up in hell. Every one of you. We have to be saved because of we are spiritually dead. Before salvation, we are dead in our sins. Dead people can do nothing for themselves. We have to be saved because our hearts are hardened by evil. The unsaved are darkened in the understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We have to be saved because we are enslaved to, to sin and to Satan. I showed you the knife and I showed you how the wolf is trapped. We are enslaved to the Satan. And we, are, we have been tempted to go after this knife that will take your life away. Being spiritually dead, there was no way that you could rescue yourself. You require God's intervention. Here is the only source of salvation because no one else can bear God's wrath on our behalf. No one else can pay for our sins, church. So the first thing that we see the true shepherd brings is salvation. Secondly, let's go back to verse number 9 and see what is the second thing that he's offering us. What we, what we see here is that if I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved is the first benefit. Second benefit is will go in and out. The term going in and out, also a Hebrew expression that implied familiar access. The same phrase was used to describe safety in the Lord. You know, during the COVID season, all of us were trapped in our homes. We were under house arrest, isn't it? And came a time, church, even now we can see, there is safety. We have been allowed to go in and out of our homes. Do you understand? Are you with me? We are allowed to go in and out of our homes now because there is safety outside. We are not in an imminent danger. So the spiritual picture is that if you have entered the fold through Jesus, who is both the shepherd and the door, he provides safety. He gives you familiar access. He is guarding all your way. Church, at the same time, I must tell you, Scripture does not promise us physical comfort and security in this fallen world. It doesn't give us. But it assures us that we are forever safe in Christ. Look at Colossians verse here. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Following God's calling is not a guarantee for comfort, but is a guarantee for safety. Eternal safety and security. You will be tempted for sure in this world, but your salvation is secured in Christ. You know what church? I know that as we go through in this world, we will face many trials. Physical trials, we lose our loved ones. We are in misery. But here's what Apostle Paul says. The very Paul we looked at. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the raid. I kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, just will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved, loved his appearance. You know what that means, church? That you may not be rewarded in this earth. But one thing that we know, there is a safe place for us where the, the Lord is waiting with the crown to be given to us. 
because it's given to all who have love disappearing. Those who love the Lord. It doesn't matter if in my office nobody recognizes me. It doesn't matter I'm insignificant in the family. It doesn't matter I'm insignificant in the community or even in the church. There awaits the crown of righteousness. Aren't you glad, church? You should be smiling now. I see all frown faces. I know it's a hard message. This is a joy that we have. So the dispensation of the Lord, we looked at the salvation and the safety, and the last one that the Lord gives us in the same path, same verse, verse number nine, is you find pasture. Right? That's the third one. It is not pointing to have an abundance of material goods, please. That's not what the Lord is telling. But rather a soul satisfaction that comes. You know that the Lord is your shepherd. And, and Philippians, Paul writes, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Church, for me, this fine pasture is this. Even though that the circumstances around me, from a worldly perspective, points to me as a failure, utter failure. I am, I am facing immense trouble and challenges in life. I am sad. There is nothing to celebrate. I've lost my loved ones. I have no security worldly. I am unable to reach the goal that I want to reach. I may be in misery. I may be sad. But you know what I have when you have the passion is that I have the inner joy. The peace that passeth human understanding. You know, when Apostle Paul writes about the peace that passeth human understanding, what he means, in the midst of the circumstances, you have been diagnosed with a deadly disease, or you have lost all the finances, you have lost your loved ones, there is nobody to care for you, you are doomed from the world standard, but you have peace. Who gives you that peace? God. God of peace gives us the peace of God. Amen? That is what Jesus is telling here. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out. I will find pastures. So church, as I bring this message, so the third point or the final point is the dispensation of the Lord. The salvation and, and safety and sustenance. So these are the four things we looked at. Right? The distinctiveness of the Lord. Trust me, it took me a while to figure out this, this D word so that I can explain it properly. Then I found the denouncement of the Lord. He is, he is saying who the thieves are, who the robbers are, and what he dispenses to us. The salvation, safety, and the sustenance. And finally, what he has considered for all of us. The deliberation of the Lord is abundant life. That's the crux of the message. So let me close with this question, church. What type of life are you pursuing now? A good life? Going after the American dream? Remember this church. You leave all that behind when you are called home. I have never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. I don't think you'll ever see that, see one. 
We are pursuing the American dream. Pastor, I don't have time to come for a Bible study because I have to work. Or I have to go and play something. Or I am tired. Pastor, I can't come on a Sunday morning because... Pastor, I can't do this because... I can't serve the Lord because... Are you having a good life? Alexander the Great, you know the story of him. Great man who conquered mostly the whole world because that time the world was small. What was his final request when he was taken in the coffin? Put my arms, both arms outside. Let the whole world know that I'm not taking anything with me. Nothing. I don't know if he had a good life or an abandoned life. I don't know whether he knew the Lord or not. I'm ready to pass judgment. Certainly the good life was worth nothing for him. Nothing for him. Look at all the key players. Big shots. Who went after the American. I'm not condemning anybody. Please don't get me wrong. To name a few, if you can, Michael Jackson, or you want a Lady Diana, Elvis Presley, names can go on. They acquired a lot in life. Did they have an abandoned life? I don't know. Maybe they did. An abandoned life, you take all that you are in Christ to eternity, spending time with the Lord forever. This is how Apostle Paul describes this, our abandoned life, and I'm going to close with this. He says, but as it is written, I has not seen, no ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Means that I cannot fathom that abandoned life. Such vast and such big and such beautiful it is, church. No eyes has seen. We have not seen it. We have never heard about this. We cannot fathom it. We cannot comprehend it. That is what the Lord has prepared for those who love Him. So will you enter through this door this morning? Church, I hope you are taking this message very seriously and personally. If you have already committed your life to the Lord and He is your Lord and Savior, then of course, you can be assured of the abandoned life. But if there is an element of doubt, most likely, you are not entering through the door. You know, if, I go, if you go and ask my, my, my son, for example, who is your dad? He will definitely point me and say, this is my father. Why? Because there is no doubt in his mind. If I ask you, are you sure that you will go to heaven when you die? If he is your father, there is no doubt in your mind. Because you have entered into eternity here on earth. But church, if there is an element of doubt... Most likely, most probably, you have not entered 
through the door. But the Lord says this. I hope I have a last slide. No, I don't have it. Anyway, in Isaiah 118. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I don't know, church, how many of you were impacted by this message. I was. The Spirit asked me to reassess, reevaluate my priorities. And I want to give an opportunity for us, if you, can, if you are able, if you can, please stand. Stand right now, please, if you can. And if you are able, I'm not going to ask you to slip your hands up because it's between you and God. If you have an element of doubt in your mind that do I really have this abandoned life? Don't leave the sanctuary without talking to one of the elders today. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. We want you to enjoy that abandoned life. Don't miss it out, church. Because we never know. One thing we know, the earthquake has taken place. There is a warning. There is an imminent danger. The tsunami is on its way. It's not a question of if, but when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know that. For Sister Sally, it has already happened. Isn't it? The tsunami came. For us, we don't know when. But let us be ready anytime knowing that the tsunami is coming. So if it is you that you have, God said, come to me. Come, let us reason out. So I'm going to give a moment. Please close your eyes and bow your heads. And you make a confession to the Lord. Lord, I've not been walking right with you. Lord, I've not committed my life to you. Lord, I've been pursuing the American dream. Lord, that has been my vision and passion in life. I never pursued the abandoned life. And today I understand what matters most in this life is the abundant life that you are so freely offering to all of us. So I pray that as I come, reason out with me, God. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me into the person that you want me to be. May this be your prayer. May this be your prayer. As I said, church, when that comes, your parents can't help you. Your wife or your husband can't help you. Your children can't help you. Even your pastors can't help you. Only the Lord can. Seek Him now. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Master, you know all our hearts are God. Every one of us who are here and everyone who are watching online. You know who is walking through the doors and who is seeking after the good, uh, the good life. I plead with you in the name of Jesus, as you have convicted us, as we come to you and ask you for that forgiveness and cleansing, that today, this day, that you will confer on us the abundant life that you have promised and help us to lead a life worthy of that calling. So we commit and commend every one of us 
into your precious hands. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and amen.